0: This podcast provides a platform for our guests to express their own personal views and opinions. Some or all of these views and opinions may not be shared by Ben and or Yo.
1: Welcome to the Too Dad to Quit podcast. The
0: podcast where we highlight stories of dads on the other side of divorce.
1: To inspire and give strength to dads going through it. I'm Ben. And I'm Yoel.
0: So thank you everybody for coming back to the podcast. We have a really, really interesting guest uh, this week. And we're actually, at a long interview, so our longest yet. So we're gonna break it into two parts. But before we do, I wanna remind you to please subscribe, like, share, comment. We want your feedback. We wanna help you. We wanna help share your story. We're here to help you. The community is here to help you. And uh, we're really excited for this interview. And uh, we think it really has some great strength. So we have Judge Joe Hochheiser who I've known since he was in uh, college. And I've seen him go through a, a big journey in his life. And then this interview actually is our longest yet. So we're going to break it into two parts. The first part is basically his background um, up, leading up to his divorce. Uh, he was married for 10 years. He basically followed his what was expected of him from his family, from what he believed he was, was the right thing to do. And then after 10 years of marriage and and two kids, uh, they both decided that it wasn't the right thing. And, uh, you know, this is the majority of part one. And we do bear off off into many different topics. And Joe is a deep thinker, a introspective guy. And uh, I was so excited to have him on because I haven't spoken to him, you know, length for a very long time.
1: Yeah, and, and something that I, I I really fed off his energy. He just had so much energy. You can see how happy he is. He's happily remarried. And uh, something also that I think is going to be very valuable to, uh, to our audience is the fact that he has experience in some very real issues that a lot of men uh, unfortunately face, including the whole idea of uh, domestic abuse allegations and how that plays out. And uh, there was, like you said, Ben, there was just so much, uh, so much context there. There's so much to learn from him, but really what stands out for me was just his energy and seeing how he's really made a life for himself uh, post-divorce. He's happy and enthusiastic and energetic. And uh, uh, on a personal note, uh, he really fed our egos, I think, by asking us a lot of questions, which was a rarity uh, for our guests. But I really, uh, I really enjoyed being uh, challenged with the questions that he had for us.
0: Yeah, we don't wanna make this intro too long, so let's just get into it, because this is gonna be two episodes of awesome.
1: We're here with Joe Hoffheiser.
0: He's got married when he was 21 years old. He was divorced 10 years later at the age of 31. He got divorced in 2014. He has two kids. His kids are now 16 and 10. Since 2014, he has co-parented with his ex-wife. Watch that fall apart, been back to court with his ex-wife to get more custody of his son, got remarried, all while trying to maintain and repair a good co-parenting relationship through the troubles and tribulations of COVID and real life. In addition, he is a domestic violence magistrate judge in his county with a keen awareness and training in the cycle of violence, perpetrator behavior, and manipulation and control within intimate partner violence. Wow. So I, on didn't, a personal I didn't
2: know you would be reading that, but I wrote that, <laughs> but, uh, so, thank you, thank so, you for that.
1: Was that right, Adam? I, I think that was off the cuff, wasn't it, bad? Yeah, no. reading anything. <laughs>
0: a lot
2: of big words in there, I apologize.
0: That That's all right. Um, and if that's not cool, I can edit that out and we can no. do a much slimmed down version. It's all um, good. So on a personal level, Joe, uh, we go way back. Uh, he actually worked for me um, for a stint. Uh, always had a bundle of energy. And uh, when he came into a room, everybody knew he was there. And uh, it's been pretty awesome watching from a distance where you've been. Um, but we really haven't you know, had a catch up in a really, really long time. Um, so I'm hoping that uh, it will catch me up. and. We can, you know, get back to where we used to be, super, super tight. And uh, so I'm really excited that you took the time to be here. Absolutely. Long Island
2: NCSY 2021 through, uh, I'm sorry, 2001, two and 3, I believe it was.
0: Uh, Sounds about right. About right. Yeah. And then you kind of disappeared. And then you came, you, you reappeared, and then you disappeared again, and then you showed up as a, as a lawyer and then uh and then I lost I track and then you turned into this like GQ model and you know it's uh I w- I, w-
2: I was not in prison.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. So we'll get to, so let let's start there. Uh not being in prison, but you've been in a whole lot of different places. So we like to start with kind of your background and, and what brings... What made Joe, Joe, and, uh, you know, where you're from? I, You're from Detroit, I believe. Um, but kind of what's your family like? What's, you know, schooling? Um, yeah, et cetera. How would you, what what made you your personality and who are your influences and things like that?
2: I mean, Ben Stern, obviously. But um, I, I like to say that uh, I'm the most interesting person that you never knew that you never knew. Um, I, I I grew up in Detroit, a uh, traditional black hat family. Uh, both my parents are Balchuvas, um, became religious through a uh, youth group NCSY. And uh my father kind of to the right, my mother to the right grew up one of six. Uh great family, uh, all very diverse in growing up, a very accepting household within the restrictions of kind of like the black hat household. My parents would kind of give their shirt off their back for for any stranger on the street at our Shabbos table. You know, you had Jews, non-Jews, people of different sexual identities, orientation, religious levels. And like everyone's accepted. Uh, But kind of like in a lot of Jewish families, it's like when it's kind of one of their own kind of goes their own path. It's uh, you know, it's it's harder for them to accept a, a different path of one of their own children than to accept people in the community. Uh, so I went through high school, kind of a couple ups and downs, went to three different high schools. Um, but my brother was worse. So so that kind of gave me a little bit of uh, opportunity mm-hmm. to uh, get away with some things. Because I'm like, hey, at least Yudi didn't do that. Um, so I ended up going to Israel, went to two schools in, in Israel. Um, Israel's definitely not for everyone, but I definitely had fun. Um for yeshiva. I'm not saying living there. Um, and I kind of came back from Israel, uh, was on kind of my own religious path, but I was very passionate about education, about uh, inspiration uh, from my parents' upbringing through NCSY youth group, and also kind of the way that my parents uh, ran their household was very into inspiring others. So I started doing uh, junior NCSY, which, uh, where junior NCSY, if you can be inspirational, And if you could be a motivation in a positive way, someone's religious level doesn't play that big of a role into it. As long as you can um, obviously act a certain way, but if you're able to motivate people and inspire, that's kind of the objective. So I became very involved in Junior Junior NCSY. That was 2002 ish. Um, But because of my family background, uh, I was 2021, and uh, you know, obviously after high school, you go to Israel and. After Israel, you go and you try to find someone to marry. It was kind of that that is, even though I wasn't necessarily on that black hat path, that was what I thought I should do. Um, and I met a a girl woman girl. She was at that point, I think she could buy me alcohol. I don't know. She was probably 20, 21. <laughs> and um, you know, we were both NCSY advisors in Central East NCSY. I was living in Long Island at the time. And um I kind of thought that marriage was, why not? I met someone I can get along with. We're the same Hushkaffa level, which is kind of what the rabbis told me. Like everything, you don't fall in love. You fall off cliffs. You learn how to love people. And uh, everything else was just like, oh, if you get along and you're on the same Hushkaffa level, you get married. Um, well, <laughs> 21, it was actually July 4th, which was uh, two weeks after my 21st birthday. So I, I was officially 22. Um you know, uh, old sage at the time, uh, was in college, didn't even graduate college yet. Uh, a- and I would like to think that I was the person who I thought I would be as an adult. And she was the person who thought she would be as an adult. But we were both not adults. And we were both not that person who we said or thought that we were, um, you know, kid came, um, you know, fast forward. Kid came around two and a half years later, three three years later, um, and uh, yeah, it was. I we we went to marriage counseling at some point, and the marriage counselor is like, "Think back to the time where you truly loved each other and try to recreate that moment." And uh, my ex and I, we kind of like both look at each other and give gave like a little chuckle. It's like you know, it was it, it was never that great. Like it it, it was because we thought that we should do it or we thought it was cool or how many hits on only simchas or how many comments can you get how many people are going to be at our wedding uh towards the end of our marriage we had a, another child there's a 6 year separation and we were divorced a couple years after she was born and uh as i said it's uh it's 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 been a crazy crazy couple of years for everyone uh but it's been a you know it it's for divorced people, COVID did not make anything easier. That is, that is definitely for sure. Um, as as I, I don't exactly know um, y'all, your kids, or Ben, the age of your kids. Puberty doesn't help either. Uh, hmm. You know, kids become a certain age and they're complete a holes. Let's just say it like that. Even in the best of situations, um, and kids growing up is difficult. Raising kids is hard. Uh, I would like to think there are some advantages. Uh, my, my my son jokes, he's like, yeah, I got two houses now. If I don't like one, I can go to the other. It's not that easy, kiddo, but like there, there are certain advantages. Hmm. If the kid's having a bad day, really bad day, sometimes a change of scenery is a good thing. Um, trying to look for the positive. Um, I think I've done that. But uh, that's kind of uh, my elevator speech in like four minutes.
0: Hmm. Okay, so some clarifications for people listening. Uh, NCSY stands for National Conference of Synagogue Youth. Uh, yes. which is basically just a youth group for kids from fifth grade through high school. Hashkafa um, is, uh, I mean, mindset. So um, I think Joe was saying they kind of had the both, the kind of the same idea of what they both wanted in life. And, you know, that's why they took the dive. Um, were you guys living in the same place, like uh, always in Cleveland? Or where were you living during this time?
2: So I was living in Queens, while I was living in Merrick, Long Island and Queens, Long Island, and she was living in Cleveland, Ohio, and we would see each other kind of once a month. I think we dated for like maybe five months before we were actually married, but we knew each other for a year. So in our brain, we like justified like, oh, yeah, but we known each other for a year and a half, Uh, but really many Many. There are many Orthodox Jews who get married very quickly. There are many Orthodox Jews who date for um, years. Uh, But but the mindset or the philosophy that we were under, it was no living together before it was you date to get married and you kind of pull that trigger. Uh, But we also didn't spend a lot of time together, you know, one weekend a month. And and uh, next thing you know, we're living in a one bedroom apartment.
0: And that was in Cleveland. You guys live?
2: Yes. In Cleveland, I continued to work, uh, go to college, work for a youth group. And then until I went to law school, I had a whole bunch of like odd end jobs because, you know, being newly married and broke really helps bond that uh, incredible bond that people
0: have. All right. So you, you guys. So and then you had like a crazy education story without all after or because I only knew you in undergrad and i don't even know if you finished and then you kind so, of so disa- I did, you disappeared
2: i did finish undergrad i graduated from turo college uh i had to get my final credits in cleveland ohio uh because um yeah i mean turo is great i went to night school in brooklyn and i took those transcripts i got a couple extra learning credits i i, I learned in kolal for 6 months to get those credits um my fa- my father would be proud um and then i i worked for a couple of years and then i went to law school at night while doing property management during the day um and then i uh, got a job as a county prosecutor primarily prosecuting all different types of cr- criminal cases but that was in 2010 so we're kind of fast forwarding um you know definitely not a big lawyer job making six figures i was uh <laughs> at the time i was getting paid not great, uh, but it was something I was passionate about. I was dom- uh, I was a domestic violence magistrate, be- prosecuting drug cases, a- attempted murder, murder, rape, um, and I absolutely like just fell in love with giving a voice to those who didn't have a voice. Uh, it, it's kind of something I grew up with about giving to those who 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 cannot, who who do not have for themselves. Uh, it's an addiction. I mean, giving is an addiction. Normally, it's a it, it's a good thing. Um, but long hours, obviously, uh, not a lot of money co- coming in. When I was at night school, my wife at the time and my son used to bring n- me dinner at law school because I would be working 40, 50 hours a week, go to yeah. law school at night. And then over the weekends, uh, you know, Sundays or Saturday nights, even I would go to the library and study. So uh, the only time I saw my son was like when we like did dinner or over the weekends. Uh, I did that through my divorce. And then after my divorce, um, I, I saw an ad for the United States military. And it was always something I wanted to do. But, you know, in the household I grew up in. It it, both my grandparents served, but it wasn't like it wasn't even an option for an Orthodox Jew to join the military, at least back in 2001, 2002. It it, it wasn't something I really, really wanted to do. And that was the extent of it. Kind of like how I want to start a podcast. Yeah. But that's the extent of it. Like no one actually does it besides YouTube, you know, but something I wanted to do. And I turned to my ex-wife one day we were talking. I'm like, I think I'm going to join the Air Force. She's like, you've wanted to do this for years. Don't let me hold you back. She's like, you're wow. not my problem anymore. And I'm like, fine, I'm going to do it. She's like, okay, I don't care. <laughs> uh, and so uh, and so I did. So uh, then I became a reservist in the military. I left for around six months for basic training. And I became a lawyer in the Air Force. I do that for around, um, around a month to two months out of the year. And uh, mm-hmm. then I got appointed as a magistrate judge in my county court. So now I deal with uh, only domestic violence cases as well. Um, intimate partner violence primarily, but really any family members. So even like brother on brother, now that they're 40 years old, they get into a bar fight. It's classified as domestic, domestic violence. And it's not only married people, it's anyone who have lived together or have a child in common. So so we really run the gamut. And uh, interesting fact about Domestic violence, because I'm sure you're wondering. Around uh 20% of our victims of domestic violence are male. So, so you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's a female um area. Well, it is primarily, uh, but it's 20% male as well. So that is a percentage that most people aren't aware of. Um, yeah. So um that's kind of my education to where I am now.
1: I'm curious, uh, Joe, about about just because you you mentioned that stat about uh, domestic violence. Uh, I know here in Israel, if a woman makes any sort of complaint about a man, you know, particularly in in the context of uh, domestic dispute, then I mean, I, i'm I'm not saying this is necessarily the law per se, but based on on what I've uh, experienced firsthand and based on what I've spoken to others. Um, The police will take immediate action, you know, they'll they'll investigate the man, etc, etc. Is that the case also where you are like, is is it the case that if a woman a woman simply has to make an allegation, and instantly the police will treat that, you know, almost as if it actually happened before even coming to any sort of conclusion? Is that the case, you know, more women making those allegations versus men? Or is it more uh, sort of equally, equally weighed, whether the, the man makes the allegation or the woman makes the allegation?
2: So I'm going to tell you, according to the law, it's exactly the same, obviously. What I will say in my court, it's a really it's a two tier test where this is where males feel that they're getting, quote unquote, the short end of the stick Um, is because in my court, there doesn't only need to be a act of domestic violence, but there also needs to be a need for future protection. So if we're talking about physical violence and I have a victim who is smaller Or if I have two parties and one is smaller, one is bigger um, and there's a mutual fight, let's just say. So even if she started, let's just say hypothetically, you also have to look for a future need for protection. So I think sometimes that's one aspect where people look at, yeah, she there also has to be physical harm. So um, a woman pushing a man is different than a man pushing a woman, even though it may be the same act. So so that could be uh, avenue that people kind of get lost in where yet yeah, it's the same act, but a 300 pound man slapping a woman is different than a 120 pound man slapping a 300 pound man, at least in my court, which is a civil court. I'm not saying cul- culpability is different, but I'm saying I'm going to be looking at that a little bit differently. Um, in, in addition, we see this a lot with society, especially police officers. You have to think about what the police see most often. We, we, we all fall back on our experiences, hopefully training and experience, but our experience is really what drives us. Um, when you see a situation and eight out of every 10 times, it's one way. When you see it again, your natural inclination is going to go that one way. Should it? No, it shouldn't. You should look at every case as an independent situation. I'm kind of justifying or explaining why it could be perceived that way.
1: Hmm. Is, is there any, I'm curious though, is there any sort of, you know, based on that information, is there any sort of impediment towards somebody trying to take advantage of that by, uh, you know, making an allegation, knowing that it could give somebody leverage. Like for example, you know, I've spoken to men where they say, you know, that they're soon to be XY. And I'm just using this as an example. I'm not saying it happens all the time, but I'm, I'm just curious, cause you obviously have firsthand experience. Uh, As a magistrate judge, you know, would you say that there's no sort of impediment to somebody making an allegation towards somebody just to, you know, just to take the average example, let's say a a woman making an allegation against a man just to sort of get him out of the house or knowing that that allegation is going to be taken seriously regardless of the truth of the matter. Is there any impediment towards making, just making an allegation just for leverage purposes in the context of a, a pending divorce?
2: So this is why and I, I don't know anything about the Israeli system. Uh, I know the judges and the magistrates in my building um, take that very seriously on both sides, especially be- before the holidays. Uh, next week is going to be a very busy week for me for exactly that reason. Hmm. People making uh, either alleg- well allegations. Um, to try to get either custody of the children for the holidays or make sure the other one doesn't, male, female, gender, doesn't really matter. Um, If you're going through a divorce case and it's found out that you made a false allegation about DV, domestic violence, that will be held against you. Um, It it, it most definitely will, which is why they don't, and I'm I'm tooting my own horn here. Um, I'm not just a regular attorney who has, has a docket and I do divorce. And I do support, and I do custody. All I do is DV. So, so, so those things that Ben uh, read in the morning, uh, in in the beginning, it, it, it's this manipulation and control uh, cycle of violence. I I hope that my training gives me the 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 sight to hear both sides and make a decision. But yes, when I hear an accusation and I only hear one side of the story. Uh, yeah, obviously, that, that is a detriment to the other side. But we actually bring people back within two weeks. So if there's an accusation of DV, yes, yeah, someone could get kicked out of the house. Someone could lose custody of their kids. But we bring those people back within two weeks, which is insane. In no other court in my county or probably in your country can you get a hearing within 10 days. Like, it, it's just not done. But with our cases, because of that, because of everything that you're saying we bring people in very quickly because we want to get to the truth. And I don't give a, con- a continuance, which means if if you have an not you, y'all, obviously, <laughs> but if, if, if there's an accusation against a perpetrator and the perpetrator wants to go to trial, if my victim says I want an I want a continuance to hire an attorney, I'm like, no, the perpetrator has every right to go tr- to trial today. And I don't care if I have seven cases we're going to trial because i want to know what really happened and i'm not going to let someone use the system because that belittles real
0: victims wow and i guess i've only seen this stuff on tv i guess is uh a, a, probably a fair statement um is there a whole back and forth with witnesses and the whole thing or how does how does that work in the courtroom are, are you actually hearing witnesses and you know, I know here in this country, you know, they want to push most of it onto the social workers and the rest of it, the, the judge you see for a few minutes at a time. Um, is there the whole back and forth um, with witnesses and rebuttals and et cetera? Kind um, of, how- I mean,
2: everyone has to come to court with their witnesses ready. And mm-hmm. they both have an opportunity to ask each party um, questions, but I don't interview Uh, parties, either they have attorneys or they don't. Around 70% of people don't. So this is a very highly uh, user-driven process. There is no prosecutor. I'm not law enforcement. Um, Unfortunately, I have victims that struggle with uh, mental health. So I actually know that they were the victim. And unfortunately, since it's a civil process, they possibly can't adequately present their case. So- Mm -hmm. We do have uh staff we have victim advocates on staff um we we have um an entire staff set to help both parties uh whether it's making copies learn the rules of evidence but yeah i'm pretty much a referee so um but yeah no most of my trials are around an hour to two hours long
0: wow all right well well that's good to hear that you know voices are heard um that's that's really important um so as far as your, I guess, Navy experience, why did you, Air Force, why did you choose the Air Force uh, just because of JAG on TV? You know, what What was the motivation uh, so, so, there? So the Air Force, I, I was talking to an Army
2: recruiter and he said the Air Force is the most family friendly. Mm-hmm. Um. So the Air Force has a program called the IMA program. Which stands for Individual Mobilization Augmentee. For those of you who were wondering, which is no one. Um, and they allow me, they allow me to do my military service during the week and weeks of the time. So if you're a reservist in the army, let's just say you're doing one weekend a month and every, uh, and then two weeks over the summer, I'm able to chunk up my time to do a full two weeks or to do a full month. I don't need to do it um, once a month. So I actually haven't been on duty since um August. So so mm-hmm. I'm able to say, and then my son goes to camp, uh, NTSY camp sports uh in Baltimore. So he goes for a month. So I know that my son does better when he's at my house in general. So um, you know, when he's gone for a month, I'll go for three weeks because mm-hmm. I'm not concerned about him as much mm. so um and the air force offers those incredible uh opportunities
0: nice and there's an air force base near cleveland where where are you where so would you be there,
2: based out of so i was based out of dayton ohio it's called wright patterson air force base and i just moved to scott air force base which is right near st louis i'm actually stationed with another uh orthodox attorney um huh. J- jag uh, attorney he just uh came, came out. I think there's like four of us now. When I started, I was the only one wearing my yarmulke. Uh, And now there are um two males plus myself and one female, which was unheard of. I mean, it, even five years ago, it just wasn't right. done. And
0: I remember you publishing some articles and when things came out with Nike and the hijab and and yeah. articles that you put out. You want to talk about that a little bit? Is it? Again, watching me from afar, it's been it's been amazing to to see what you've accomplished.
2: Yeah. So um that whole started with that um there is this woman, girl, she was in the University of Toledo, uh, was wanted to get into the Air Force and she was a religious Muslim woman. She actually grew up like 20 minutes away from my hometown. And uh she said, I want to wear my Hijab, the Air Force at the time had a policy that they can give you an exception once you're already in. Mm-hmm. It's like we can't unilaterally give you an exception until you make an application and you can't make an application until you're in. It's probably something like with the Israeli government, with like applying for something like, well, you have to be here first. You're like, I don't want to come until I can be there until I get the exception. So um, she so fine. I'm sitting at my base and my boss comes in. He's like, I just interviewed this incredible woman, but she wants to wear a hijab. You wear a yarmulke. Why don't you go um, research whether she can wear this and get the exception before she comes in? Well, Chabad rabbis had been like in the air force for the past, like 20 years. So for a yarmulke, like exceptions were already on the books. So I do all my research. And I try to help this woman. And I can't like, I, I, I write papers, I write, um, you know, letters, and I kind of put her in touch with all the right people. Fine. Three years down the line, I'm watching like MS, MBC and she's on there in her mm-hmm. hijab. And um, oh, this is my dog. I'm not sure if you can see my doggy. Okay, so she she's there, and uh, so I, I find her on Facebook, and uh, her her name is Captain Uza. I said, by any chance, did you interview with um, Major S- Strong? She's like, yeah. I'm like, I think I worked on your recruitment package. She's like, you're the Jewish guy who worked on my package. <laughs> I'm like, how many Jewish guys are in the airports? Of course, I'm the Jewish guy, and <laughs> and and then we were actually stationed at right patterson and we became very close friends she was on tiktok she got me on tiktok which is a black hole uh absolutely <laughs> love it i have forty five thousand followers now um and what, what, we became... is, what
1: is with tiktok I, I i sorry to cut you off but i no, I, don't, I don't get it you know i've always heard anybody like in, in our I, I don't know how old you are joe but you know ben oh. the same age so look, <laughs> anybody like over 40 doesn't seem. To, I don't know. Most people don't get it. I'm amazed that you're on it. That that's another discussion to oh have. Oh my gosh! Get it, TikTok.
2: <laughs> it feeds my ego. I I. It, it's a love hate relationship. I got on originally because of this uh, officer. She's like, oh, we have to do videos together, and her sense of humor. Um, we both believe in the same thing, and obviously, we're not in, or I'm not in Israel and politics or politics, but we both believe in like love inclusion diversity like that's why we're in the air force like we represent our culture we that diversity that is the united states military we are we are that when we walk into a room people look at us like we're nuts and we're like no no this is what our country is our country is a melting pot and the air force is that as well so so but her sense of humor is just great. So we made these videos one where like I'm pretending to be a hostage. Uh, We made another one where like people thought like we were on a dating show and we just made like all these like great videos. And uh, we were interviewed by uh, CBS. We were written up in a newspaper Uh, and we've really been promoting um, inclusion and love. And like our big thing is like, there are topics like we disagree on. You know, there, there are topics where we, we talk about and we're like, we will never be on the same page. But on the other hand, we have so much in common. When it talks about our upbringing, when it talks about even our culture, when it talks about um, friendship and connection to community, divorce, uh, the, the, our, our, our communities have so much more in common than we do differences. I, I I also have American privilege. Uh, I live in America. I I don't have to deal with pe- things that people have to deal with in Israel or uh, you know in in uh, on the other side of of the borders. So uh, I am a little ignorant when it comes to the conflict, and I I could appreciate that. But from where I'm sitting in my country, we have so much more in common, and I I think that we need to start focusing on that because. If we keep on talking about whose great-grandparents killed who, whose great-grandparents, we're going to keep on going down this cycle. And and, and there's never—I'm not getting into Middle Eastern politics, but but who was there first? It, 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 to me, that, that, that argument is going to lead nowhere. I mean, it, it will just go back to the end of or the beginning of time. Like, it really doesn't matter. What are we going to do now to move forward in peace? Because Israelis and Palestinians don't want their children— I call it the motherhood initiative. And there's a great program that that one of my Israeli friends is doing. And I forget what it's called. But like, if we could just get like a whole bunch of mothers together and to kick everyone's butt, like, I think that'd be like really nice because um, I, I'm sure everyone's sick of it. You're sick of it. Um, I don't have the answers. I would be rich and I'd be president if I did. Um, but I'm focused on how we can move forward in a better direction and I really think it starts with people like you and I, like with us starting these conversations. It's not going to there is no magic button like it's it's it, it's it's not going to be a push button policy or a politician. So um, that's kind of we focus on our people um, within our culture, our community, America, and focus on all the incredible things that we can do together, not on the things that draw us apart.
0: Nice.
1: Well said. Well said. Beautiful.
2: Sorry. Sorry, I got a little.
1: No, for sure. It, it's <laughs> definitely. It's definitely not worth. We're we're not a political show, and it's definitely not worth like you were saying going down that rabbit hole. But I I definitely can relate to your to your sentiments. So I uh, know I appreciated hearing that. Yeah.
0: And so fast forward a little bit. So yeah. you graduated law school. You yes. started. You started working in in Jag somewhere in there you became a judge but you also met somebody
2: yes yes i got remarried i got remarried um she's in the other room i really want to ask her when uh we got remarried but uh
1: not we the got best question to ask i don't i don't think i know <laughs> you,
2: you know what so so, so we started What's thinking. her anniversary honey? <laughs> well i'm going to explain it's 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 actually a lot more complicated than that so uh she moved to cleveland and as i would like to believe she she didn't know who i was because if she did she would have never dated me uh though right before we started dating i was um i was profiled in a magazine for being the top 10 single of northeast ohio
1: wow Uh,
2: what
1: magazine
2: for j style magazine okay so i mean i think it was top 10 and there was only eight that year but still I mean, I was I was still in it.
0: Was that after the gym workout?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I became a little bit of a gym of a gym rat. Um, So uh, around two weeks later, we we actually match on 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 dating sites because that's how people date. And she was wearing a Boston hat. And uh, I had a picture from the Air Force basic training where it, we went out on my birthday and we went out to like some like ice cream place and I'm just gaunt. It's like, you can see the, like I, I haven't eaten in like four months. And like, you just see like the bone structure in my face. And she's like, yeah, I wasn't going to message you. You looked horrible. I'm like, you were wearing a Boston hat. Like I'm from Detroit and Cleveland. And, uh, but then we met like, on, we matched on two separate apps um, and we started dating. She just moved to Cleveland she's incredible. Uh, it was almost, uh, it was a full year before I introduced her to my kids. That was always a big, very big pet peeve. We are on the, uh, on the dad podcast. Um, I've had friends who have introduced their children to pretty much every everyone they had been dating for over a week. Uh, I did not want to be that person. I, I, where I was, Religiously allowed me to date someone for for as long as I wanted to. Um, Brought the kids over on a Friday night, and uh, I remember I was walking up to my house, and I have a side window, kind of looking in to my house, and she's on the stairs with like her hand like over her head, and I can just see the nervousness on her face, and I'm like, that's a person I I want someone as nervous as I am to introduce them to my kids, as she's nervous to meet them like this is not something that that we do this is not something that she does this is this is a big deal um and uh they uh they met her they uh obviously it was a little weird uh in the beginning but not really she's just incredible uh she was working in um with um children at the time um and obviously i'm not going to marry someone who wasn't incredible with kids because i have kids she does not have kids so I think they call that a unicorn in the dating community. She was not, uh, she
1: was not married before.
2: Not married before, no children. Uh,
1: why, why is it, I'm just curious. I'm sorry to, have to interrupt if you're in the middle yeah. of your story, but I, I'm like chomping at the bit to ask you this. Why is it that you feel that one, I mean, if I understood you correctly, that one should not um, introduce somebody that he's dating early on or is it something that you felt for you personally or is it something you feel that you know you wish everybody adhered to like is that like a, a general policy of yours because I, I i thought I, I caught in what you were saying that you're against it
2: i joe Hockeiser, attorney at law with absolutely no experience in divorce except my own uh with <laughs> no psychological training except in domestic violence
1: i love the I disclaimer i love it yeah yeah <laughs> as, like as a i do see- attorney <laughs> Yeah,
2: <laughs> I've had friends who have dated multiple, multiple people. Um, the children, even though it was years later, uh, the children have gone through enough change. And I don't know. I have people who've done it and it's been like totally OK. I, I understand that you want to build a relationship. And if you're only planning on dating for four months, you know, after two weeks, it, it may be time. Um I don't want to say I dated a lot, but I gone out with a lot like I I, I don't I, I didn't want
0: my children meeting everyone I was dating like I I I mean I, I, I can don't tell know you I... from my my own experience being yeah, that please. kid being that kid my father had several girlfriends growing up and he lived with some, didn't live with some, but I met a whole bunch of them but I hey I didn't get along with a bunch of them B, uh I don't know it from a you know, and then my mother did the complete opposite. She, I don't even know if she ever dated until I was out, until I moved out of the house in high school. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Uh, in my mind, she put everything on hold for me. Um, so you know, I'm not looking to put everything on hold, but I'm also not looking to have a revolving door. Of, it it just opens the kids up to a potential hope uh, or. If it goes well, hope that that is your next, you know, parent or figure. Or if it goes bad, connecting with somebody and then they're not connected and they it's more lost. I think and, that, and that, that's the worry there. Another aspect
2: of it, and, and it was for me, I it's a double-edged sword. I wanted to marry someone for the right reasons um, and not only because my kids love them. Uh, and and if your kids absolutely fall in love with someone maybe you're in that relationship for for the wrong reasons or keeping it going but on the same side I would choose my children over the person I'm going to marry so on the on the same side I need to make sure that my kids get along with this person as well because if they don't um I'm picking my kids and and that was the decision I made uh prior to even dating that I'm okay being single i'm not going to get married and jump in to something just to check off a box or to make my community happy um but to fall back so we dated for around a year after that um she became part of the family every every other friday night uh my custody arrangement was made when we just got divorced and it was it was my mistake in hindsight but i made it for a one-year-old child and a six-year-old child so um everything in there was like oh i'll come over my ex-wife's house you know uh, three times a week at night to help put the kids to bed Uh, i'll come over on shabbos morning and pick them up and take them to shul and drop them off after lunch We, we we wrote up this agreement that really worked well with kids that age um so It didn't work well, like when my kid is like bar mitzvah, which we could talk about later as well. But all I'm saying is is that I was able to really incorporate my children with my relationship on a very slow pace because, you know, I I didn't have them that full time or for that whole weekend or for three nights in a row. Um, We were going to move in together. We bought a house and my grandmother was very sick and my parents are like, come to Detroit. We'll invite her family. We'll get you married in the backyard and, uh, you know, just be a small wedding. And then in a year from now, you guys can do your celebration, you know. And um, so we went to Detroit. We moved on Thursday. We unpacked the last box and we were going to Detroit. As I said, my grandmother was very sick at the time. Um, As soon as we unloaded our last box, we were changing to go out to eat. Uh, My father called and told me that my grandmother just died,
0: Wow!
2: which in most families, she was old. She lived a very full life. And uh, in my family, we all kind of chuckled. We're like, this is great. We all had airfare to come in anyways. We're all going to be there. This is just like incredible.
0: And And your father, the travel agent, was like, I figured it out.
2: Exactly, and uh, and to top it all off, my sister was going to do an upsharing for her son on Sunday after our
0: wedding because Hold on we one were second. all there. Anyways. One second, one second. That's a ceremonial haircut at the age of three for a son. Yes.
2: So uh, when when a um, in certain customs the or certain Jewish customs the uh, the boy gets his first haircut at three. So my sister pushed it off for around a month because we were all going to be there. So uh, as I spoke at my grandmother's funeral, we called her Sofa. And I said, you know, Sofa always made sure that everything was always about her. And once again, she made sure that everything was always about her. So we had a funeral on Friday. My parents and family met Rebecca's parents and family for the first time on Friday night dinner. We had a tent out in the backyard. People were coming in like, Mazel Tov, condolences. Like people just didn't really know. Um, so my mother on on Sunday morning, we had a, a 10 o'clock wedding. My mother was allowed to go. uh, we went over to the m- mourner's house afterwards because my aunts did not go. um, and we were just like just rocking it out for a funeral, um, birthday party for my nephew later on that afternoon. Uh, wow. then we moved in together. We lived together for a year. And then we had a traditional, a traditional, we had a party celebration in Ithaca, N- N- New York, where she was from. Uh, and that was a small, like a hundred person, a DJ, kind of like a real fun party. Interesting, there's no kosher caterers in Ithaca. So we found an Israeli caterer who agreed to do a kosher wedding through the Chabad kitchen at Cornell. So even wow. that, it was it, it was a very cool little uh mashup and uh my wife uh is just incredible for being like so flexible like my parents telling her or not telling but why don't you get married in our backyard and she just like <laughs> she didn't even know what was going she's like okay yeah she she, <laughs> she bought her dress on amazon like we we were like so not prepared for before that we thought it was gonna be like 10 people in the in my backyard um my parents like there was People, there was people in and out of that house. There was tons of people there, but that's just how my parents roll. all. Oh. And uh, yeah, so that was right before COVID. And there was like, oh, you had two separate weddings be- because of COVID? We're like, no, no, no. We we actually did it before it was cool. Um. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and then we've been married uh, since then. So that's why, Yoel, in the beginning, when you were saying about your anniversary, we actually have two separate ones. So I don't have to celebrate either one of them now.
1: They cancel each other out it's like
2: offsetting penalties you just repeat third down
1: wait so just so i'm clear so you were how long were you you were what what was the period of time between divorce and remarriage just so i have the
2: uh four plus years
1: got it and you knew you wanted to get remarried or that this kind of just happened when you met her type of thing like you you i was never
2: going to get remarried marriage Mm. is the worst (laughs) <laughs> I I did everything right. I went to the right schools. I said the right things. I prayed to the right God. I got married when I was supposed to get married. I, I I I learned. I I thought I was a good husband. I was a horrible husband. I thought I was a good husband. I was doing everything I thought I was supposed to do, and this is my thank you. And being divorced, maybe in Israel it's a little different, possibly. Being observant or part of an observant community and being divorced, male or female, it sucks. Judaism or orthodoxy is family focused, family centrist. Going to a family Shabbos meal with with a whole bunch of families there and you're the single guy, it's like you feel like you should be sitting at the kid's table on Thanksgiving. Like (laughs) it it stinks. No, I was never going to get remarried. I was going to have some fun. I was going to be single. I was going to focus on my kids. And then I met a girl who was like, yeah, marriage is not not my number one priority. You know, I'm just living life. She traveled. She lived in um, Australia, London, Portland, San Diego. Like, she's lived in all these incredible places. And this was just another stop.
0: I don't know why she picked Cleveland. but uh...
2: Uh, Cleveland Clinic brought her here. It was not... Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it was her choice, but she was recruited to be here. She's uh, she's pretty incredible. But wow. but yes, I was not planning on getting remarried. I was very she actually makes fun of me because she's like, well, what do you want in your life? I said, I want to do as much military service as possible in places as far away as possible. She's like, wow, you sound like a real winner.
1: <laughs> that's great well, yeah, there's I'm a just pickup curious line. Why, why do you as, as I get like completely distracted by my cat who I don't know how much she's been in the background but she's been purring the, the pretty much the entire podcast um, I'm just curious why, why you said that you were a horrible husband was that something that you realize in retrospect in your new relationship now
2: yes hmm. I I was very young I mean I I thought I was a bad father until I well no I thought I was a good father until I was 30 and raising a child. Um, very reactionary, uh, very angry, uh, very, very upset where I was. I, you know, everything was, everything was sad. I was in a sad place. And, you know, I don't divorce. Some, sometimes divorce is people's faults, especially when you're talking about domestic violence, cheating, like there, there are reasons, but but in general, like divorce is two people who shouldn't be married. So I was in a relationship with someone I shouldn't have been married to for 10 years. And the thing holding me back personally, which I'm sure that both of you could r- relate to, is I didn't want to fail. And divorce, in my mind at the time, was failure. I don't fail at anything. I succeed. I, 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 I have a goal. There's a challenge and I accomplished that. I've been doing that my entire life. So for me to concede that I failed in my marriage, at least at that time, it's like, no, I don't fail. I'm going to keep on pushing through. And then you're digging yourself in a deeper hole, alienating, you know, not acknowledging that there's issues or going to marriage counseling, but not really putting through all of it. And then eventually someone checks out. It doesn't really matter. But then you still push through as if it's still going to work out. And you're like, Oh, I'm a romantic optimist. No, you're not. You're dumb. Like you're you're in a bad, negative place, and you keep on doing it. And and so yeah, no sad, um, depressed, angry partner is going to be a good partner to their other partner. Mm. I mean, the yelling matches, and my friends kind of make fun of me. They're like, "Yeah, you guys were in Shul Temple. You guys were in Temple yelling at each other." I'm like, yeah, we really didn't like each other. But they're like, yeah, that was like four years into your marriage. I'm like, mm-hmm. well. So at least that's how it was for me. Uh it, it, in in the beginning after our divorce, we we, we were very cordial because we were both happy to be out. And we used to sit together <laughs> at Temple, and uh, <laughs> we used to joke that people thought we were contagious, like divorce was, and uh only half joking. Because once people see how happy you are afterwards, they're like, oh, maybe divorce is the answer. But like people like didn't sit next to us. People are like very worried. Like, why are they so happy now? Mm. Um, and and so um, and then, of course, you know, you guys start, start getting those phone calls from community members. Be like, hey, so when did you know Um mm. Have have you guys gotten those phone calls from friends or community well, members?
1: You, you mean friends that are going through it themselves or considering uh,
2: considering going through it?
1: Uh, I could speak. I, you know, Ben could answer for himself. From from my perspective, it's it's more when it's kind of pretty much happening. I and yeah. I get unfortunately, I get a lot. I get a lot of those. Uh, I'll let Ben answer. I have a I have a follow up question to what you said, but yes. I'll let Ben answer that question. Ben.
0: Yeah, I don't think anyone calls me because they know how I feel about the whole thing. Okay, um, I, I'm i more of the uh, post support or going to happen support, but uh, the, how did you know is not my, my venue. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't answer that question either.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I wanted to ask you though, and, and maybe this is a question that Ben maybe would relate to. So I'm going to ask it instead of Ben, because you, you, you said that that divorce happens between a couple that, Um, shouldn't have been together. Can one, can one argue conversely that divorce happens when one or both of the couple don't commit to doing the work necessary to maybe strengthen the relationship when times are tough? Like who says, you know, I'm not trying to argue with you and I'm not saying I necessarily disagree with what you're saying, but I'm curious on the flip side, who says that a couple necessarily wasn't good for one another? Maybe they just one or both of them just didn't put in the work or decided not to put in the work that's often necessary for a commitment to last through the hard times. Is that, Absolutely. Is
2: that fair? It, that's such a fair statement. Um, my therapist compared a marriage and a relationship to an escalator going the wrong way. Like if you just stay status quo, if you're not trying to walk up, you will go down. So, mm-hmm. so that's what a mar- you have to constantly be working on that and if you don't, it will, you will end up at the bottom of the s- staircase. Um, that was not my situation. I I would like to believe if you would ask my ex-wife, we can call her, but we're not. Um, if you would ask her if she's happy <laughs> that we, we are d- divorced, she will, she will say absolutely. And we should have. Um, clearly, as, as one party, I thought I was putting in the effort. In hindsight, she was not the person I was supposed to be married to. Um, but I do believe that there are those situations. Unfortunately, in my community and in a lot of observant communities, sometimes you have one who doesn't practice in the same way. And the other party, you know, so, so you have that aspect. Sometimes parties just check out for whatever reason, but then again, to kind of answer your question in a lawyerly way if one party checks out and doesn't value the relationship enough to put in the effort, doesn't that mean that they shouldn't be married to
1: each other? No, I mean, I, 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 you're saying. Yeah. I, I, get that. Like I, I you know, I, I was speaking to somebody recently about that, you know, like, don't you feel that it could have, it could have lasted or something like that all these sort of like after the fact questions. And I just answered, well, I don't because it didn't, type of thing. Right. So, kind of what you were just saying, you know, which is a more sort of philosophical type of way of looking at it. But I, I hear what you're saying there. Yeah. It Makes a lot of sense.
2: Ben, what do you got on that?
1: Yeah. Uh. <laughs> How much more time do we have?
0: Yeah. I, I know what Ben uh,
1: has. <laughs> uh,
0: to me, you know, marriage is one of those life commitment things. And, you know, you have five bad years, but you take five more years to invest in it or time will tell. Or, you know, as Joel says, you know, it, it, his uh, lawyer was telling him, like, if you just waited five, six more years, then you and your ex would have been in like the golden years of when the kids are getting married. There's going to be out of the house. You guys get to go on, you know, live your life that you've been working on for so many years, you know, so I have a different philosophy on the whole thing, um, from what I've heard and what I've read. And, you know, it's just as Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith said once, you know, just don't give up and that's it. So, so let me fight with you. Okay, Ben,
1: Uh, Yeah,
2: because Ben and I have been there before about other topics, but people have said to me, you know, stay married for the kids. And I say, I got divorced for my kids. I did not want my children to model their concept of love and marriage off of what they saw between their mom and I. So, so I understand what you're saying, Ben, but you have to realize that there's other people involved too. And and is it fear? Yes, divorce comes with it. Uh, my therapist and I don't love the word, but my therapist said it's better to be from a broken home than in a broken home. Now I don't I I don't love the word from a broken home, but but conceptually. So I guess what's your response to that, that that you're you're that's kind of selfish because there's children involved, too, and they deserve to see a father and a mother saying, hey, this is not
0: love. Fair. So I'll say no situation is the same. I'll say a lot of these divorces, the kids have no clue. And as long as the kids have no clue. Fights should the fight to keep it should still go on. Because the kids have no clue. Once they do have a clue, that's when the broken happens. And it takes years to recover from that. So if you guys keep it between yourselves and you can you should still be fighting for it. If uh again, if it trickles down and it, it does, you know, like my, my brother says when my father I was eight months old when my parents got divorced, and my brother said when they sat him down and told him. My brother was like, oh, well, it's about time. Uh, and my, my middle brother, he was really upset. So, you know, me, I was eight months old. I have nothing to do with it. But in my mind growing up, I thought it was because of me. So again, there are ripple effects that you have no clue about. And, right. you know, even the worst home may still be the best home for the kids having two families there so that they don't feel that that hurt, that's, that's on them all the time. I've, I wanna be here, I wanna be there. Why can't I talk to this person? Why can't I talk to that person? What, you know, again, I, I think to me, divorce for a child is the worst thing in the entire world.
2: I 100%, and it, it, if anyone thinks like divorce is the answer, uh, first off, I tell everyone you got to go to marriage counseling and you got to give it time it's not one session you really have to work towards it uh, but I also tell people you don't get divorced to be happy if anyone thinks they're getting divorced to be happy, they're absolutely wrong you get divorced to put yourself in a position to be happy again but that also comes with work uh, and I don't care I don't care if there was domestic violence I don't care if there was cheating I don't care if the person is now married to the Pope it it, it doesn't matter there's always something within your own characteristics that needs to be improved. Hmm. So, so oftentimes we're like, I don't need help. It was all her fault or a female saying, Oh, it was all his fault. It, it, what made you attracted to that defective person then? Even, even if you want to go there, even if you want to say it was all that person's fault, that person is horrible. Okay. Well, you still married them. So, so, so what deficit do you have that you married such a defective person? And I'm not saying people are, are defective. I'm saying people who refuse to acknowledge that they have things to work on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, Ben, I would agree with you. I was a mar- marriage is ideal, and staying marriage is the ideal. And you have a different perspective than I grew up with, and I respect that a hundred percent.
1: Yeah, I think also that, uh, and I, I agree. You know, I, I, there, there's validity to, to, to both sides here, and I, and I think. Um, I agree with what Ben is saying, that it really does depend on everyone's circumstances, you know, like some people, like you were saying, Joe, some people are just so glad to be out of it, they were both miserable, Um, but I think in a lot of instances, you know, I remember there's a Talmud that says that a bad marriage is worse than death, it says in in an ancient Talmud, and I remember telling a friend of mine, you know, a friend of mine said, yo, you see, you know, you see, and, you know, I was married for 18 years, and I said, well, I, I didn't feel that way, I didn't feel like it was a terrible marriage, and it's funny. I I I I don't want to speak for my ex-wife, but she would. I think she would probably say it was like I remember being in in family therapy, and the therapist was trying to get us to a place of like where things were great. And he's like, "Talk about your first date," and she's like, "I'd rather not." I'm like, "What the fuck?" Like, <laughs> but I think what happens is I think that a lot of times, I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that uh, I think in some cases, genuinely, someone can say it's better for the kids to not see that type of relationship going forward but i think a lot of times one or both of the spouses may use that as an excuse to say oh the marriage was terrible from the outset cuz i i really believe that in my case it was not and only when you know from my perspective when my ex-wife decided she was done then sure from that point on then yes it was not exactly a great model for my children to see but kind of tying into what ben was saying for the first 15, 16 years, everything was fine. I mean, you look at the family photos and obviously photos could tell a different story than reality. I, I'm aware of that, but I I just think that there's a propensity out there to kind of, um, you know, recreate history once things go bad, rather than doing the work necessary to stay committed, you know, and, and, uh, and that's something that I think is just part of the culture. And, and a lot of times people tend to forget that. So, um, Anyway. I
2: mean, there there's no question that our society is a uh, button pushing society or pill popping. Which, by mm-hmm. the way, if you need medication, absolutely, it's good for you. But like, but 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 we <laughs> all the want to or push a... the screen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Magistrate Joe says, "Take your medication." Um, <laughs> we we all want to push a button and make everything all better. Uh, you know, we do it with our kids. We we do it with ourselves. We. It, we all, no one wants to put in the work, and really, marriage does involve a lot of work. So, so I, there, there there's absolutely that concept. Um, when I moved, uh, I found an entire shoebox uh, of of anniversary and birthday cards, and my wife now and I were looking through them, and they were all the same type of cards. Uh, I know you an- annoyed the hell out of me, but I still love you. And they, they were all like those type of, and she's like, holy shit. Like you guys were having problems early, weren't you? Wow. Like, oh my God. And like looking through these cards. I'm like, oh, this is the most depressing thing. Yeah. And um, I wasn't married for 17 years. And, and I, y'all, we actually did have the same conversation with our therapist. Try to think back to a time w- when you were happy. Mm. Um, And, and, you know, my marriage probably was different because I probably did get married too young and for. All the wrong reasons, but I was also divorced by 31. Mm. And a conversation I was having with with my ex wife wife at the time, I'm like, we're really lucky. Like, well, I'm really good looking, uh, um, and you know, I'm <laughs> I'm like, we're young, we're good looking, we're we're like, we have life to live, you know. In my mind, it was going, or in our mind, it was going to happen, and and we were just, I was happy that we were able to do it younger. As opposed to waiting, unfortunately, I see people do it. Like, oh, last kid goes to college, and now you're 55 and doing it. So I, I, I was happy that we did it when when we did. I was able to get remarried. I know that she dates. Hopefully, one day she'll get remarried because nothing will make my life easier. Um, <laughs> I don't yeah, know if so, that's always uh,
1: true. By the way, I think that's I think there's a. I guess, again, as always, you know, a bunch, it sounds like it's like three lawyers in a room, although Ben's not a lawyer, but it's like every, every case depends on its circumstances. But I don't know. I think, you know, people tend to think that once their, you know, ex spouse moves on with someone else, life gets much simpler in terms of interactions. And I don't know if that's always the case, you know, but I mean, obviously, you know, I, I hope for, uh, I, I don't know her, but I hope for her sake that, that she does uh, get remarried. I'm not suggesting I, I wouldn't want her to get remarried, but I just don't know if that would necessarily have any impact in your life necessarily, but I don't know. It's, uh, you know, yeah. just speaking to other men and, and, you know, my own personal experience and other men's experiences. I, I don't know if, uh, if an ex-spouse being in another relationship necessarily matters. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I, my current wife has made me a better father as well. So like I, I'm talking mm-hmm. probably ignorant from my
0: um, position. Stay tuned for part two coming next week. Thank you for listening to the Too Dad, to Quit podcast. Available at Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode.